0: Hi, guys. I'm Matt Harris, host of the HMO Experience Property Podcast. And in this episode of the podcast, my co-host, Steve Mitchell, interviews Josh Guest as part of our Rising Stars series. Now, Joe shares his journey as to why he didn't go to university and how he started work at a finance leasing company before selling coffee machines out of the boot of his Range Rover, and how he ended up buying a service accommodation business in Brighton when he lives 180 miles away in Worcester. That's right. 108 miles away in Worcester. (laughs) Now, in addition to the importance of systems and processes to help get his business up and running, Josh discusses how mentors, training, and learning have helped him along the way from problem solving to learning different property investing strategies. And the best thing is, he's only 22. So if he can do it, there's no reason why you guys can't do it too. If you like this episode, Make sure you hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. In addition, head over to our YouTube channel, the HMO Experience Property Podcast. Press the subscribe button and make sure that bell notification's on so that you get notified when not only episodes of the podcast drop, but when bonus content such as the HMO Diaries and the HMO Experience Bite Size drop on the YouTube channel as well. And lastly, head over to our Facebook page, The HMO Experience Property Podcast, where you will also receive bonus content such as the Friday Finance Takeover and hashtag HMO Hacks. That's all for me. Let's get into the show.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the HMO Experience Property Podcast. My name is Steve Mitchell. This is episode 57, and I have the immense pleasure. Or spending a little bit of time with uh, a good friend of mine, Josh Guest. Say hi to everyone, Josh. Hi, everyone. So Josh and I met probably about a year, a year and a bit ago, I think. Um, we, we were both at a company uh, called Progressive Property, where we're sort of learning about property strategies. Um, I kind of went one way down the uh, HMO route and uh, Josh uh, specialized in uh, service accommodations. So we will be touching on that a little bit uh, later in the interview. Um, but Josh didn't do the sort of traditional um, route out of um, college. Uh, he didn't go to university. I, I know for a fact he's a very hard grafter uh, and he's very smart and very business savvy. So he's going to be sharing some uh, enlightened thoughts and ideas uh, as we go through this podcast. So Josh, um, do you want to tell everyone a little bit about your backstory? Um, how did you, what did you do straight after college? Um, how did you get on in the, in the world of uh, paid employment? Uh, and then what happened after that?
2: Yeah, definitely. So um, I decided that university wasn't the route for me. So and the one main thing about university, why well, I didn't want to go, it was just purely for the exams um, I know you can get a good job out of it eventually but that just wasn't the route for me because I hated doing exams, I doing exams at school. When I went to college I ended up actually doing uh, VTECs which is all coursework based and I enjoyed that more. You still write essays but it was much more enjoyable because it was over a stint, I'd say three or four months instead of just doing like an exam and you've got to just learn having just that particular exam. Um, so I decided to go into a finance background, it was leasing. So I actually worked in the supplier department. So I was looking for customers which offered finance to their customers. So I would find for example, so say if you sold um, kitchens then, and you offered finance in those kitchens to your customers, the say like somebody like Magnet or somebody like that, we're trying to tap into those suppliers, which then would finance, give the finance for their customers. Um, I did that for about 12 months. And then I was actually speaking to one of my suppliers, all of their sales guys, which was a coffee machine company. And I was trying to get into them because they did around about £2 million of finance every 12 months, um, which would have been a pretty good salary for me if I could have brought them over, but I couldn't manage to get them over. I was just getting their sort of back end stuff. Um, so, I thought I'd get speaking to them, learning more and more about their business, and it sounded really interesting. I always liked selling products um, from sort of a young age. I used to like flip items on, on the internet. Um, I didn't actually know it was called arbitrage at the time. So, sort of, I just sort of used to buy things and just sell things through Facebook and eBay and all that sort of stuff, to make a bit of money. Um, so, I thought like, this would be quite interesting. It was self employed, so it was all commission only, but being at home then, you have to take the risk. Um, I wasn't on much in. My previous job anyway, I was on sort of sixteen grand a year, um, plus obviously commission. But I wasn't earning really loads after being there for 12 months. So I thought, let's give this a go. Um, I went on like a demo day with one of the salespeople, picked up loads of leads. I thought, yeah, this is really interesting. And you could easily earn anything from £500 to £1,000 commission per machine you sold. Um, so I thought, well, if I try and sell eight of those a month, you're end up on four, four grand plus pretty comfortably. Um, so I went there, did that for about 12 months, landed. So, as it was commission only, um, you had to pay for all your costs. We you got a company car, which is a bit weird. Um, super nice cars, where You've got like a Range Rover Sport, coffee machines in the booths, like Astro AstroTurf in the booths you can make make a coffee out of your boot, it's awesome. But it was um a very a very strange um and interesting job because you obviously had to spend a lot of money on petrol trying to go to all your clients and it was a very hard sell. So our main market was convenience stores, little gyms, small restaurants, um and just driving around trying to do cold sales so you're gonna end up spending a hundred quid a day in fuel um sometimes. So I tried to think a bit outside the box and same with one of the other salespeople that actually got me into the business. So we actually contacted a big cash and carry in London. And what we did with them is we paid them a daily rate, machines in there and do like a demonstration to all our customers. And um, you're getting a like hundred and hundreds of customers coming to that cash and carry every day because it's the best cash and carry in London. And about seven of them spotted around around London. Um, so it's just a lead generator for us where we could take loads of leads demonstrate machine to them spend no money on fuel just to get to the place and we could just stay down there for the sort of week and it was quite a cutthroat business because as it was all commission only if another sales guy went and seen that same customer that you've seen they would sort of try and lie to the customer and say oh i own the business and then they'd try and like brag about the car and all that sort of stuff and say oh look i'm the director when Everyone's the same level headed. So it was very cutthroat, and you had to be just go, go for the sale. Um, I didn't really like that about the business. And it was a few things in the business they weren't really looking at progressing. Um, and like I say, it was mainly the winter as well, where you could actually hardcore sale. Whereas the summer, all those sort of places like convenience stores, they all want slush poo machines. So it's a very hard sale. So, and once we sort of diluted this cash and carry, for six months and um, you couldn't really go back, keep going back there because you'd seen all those of customers once. So you needed to wait like another 12 months to get fresh customers from there. But then I started to go out on the road and I was just spending loads and loads of money on petrol. Um, and I was thinking, well, this is not fun now. Uh, I'm, I'm having to graft a lot more and it feels like you just wait some time. Sometimes you'd be driving around for 12 hours and just get, Zero leads, zero sales, never think, um, spend a lot of money. So I thought this is the right route. So I always wanted to own my own business or get in property. I knew a few other people that were sort of in property, um, bank in Australia, I've owned a few properties previously. Um, so I thought that could be a good route. And I speak to this South person that I worked with at the time, and she actually run like a hair salon down in Brighton, and the person above her. Basically, he actually had a few service accommodation units, which he was looking to get rid of and just offload. So I had a bit of money in stocks and shares at the time. I sort of approached him, analysed the business, got all of his 12-months worth of accounts, looked at all of the figures and thought, yeah, this stacks up. Let's give this a go. Saved, like I say, a fair bit of money through the coffee machine business because some months again 6k a month but I was still at home so that worked out pretty well and I thought this is the best time to give it a go when I'm young still at home give it a risk what's the sort of worst can happen I can see these 12 figures we can sort of learn on the go Um, so yeah then I just jumped into a service accommodation took those three of him uh, still stayed in the job for six months just to build up a bit of cash flow in the business and then decided
1: to pack the job in and go full-time into property Amazing. So you, you. So let's just recap. You came out of school. You tried your hand at finance leasing. You then moved into selling coffee machines. Uh, you met a hairdresser down in Brighton. Uh, her uh, the guy who was living above her had some service accommodation. You analysed the business and you got these service accommodations. Were they in Brighton? Yes. So all these free places were in Brighton. Cool. And where are you living? In Worcester. <laughs> 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 so that's that's uh, that's a little bit of a distance. So, uh, what were the, some of the challenges that you uh, faced trying to manage a service accommodation business? I, I don't know. What would it be like? 150, 200 miles away? Yeah, it's about 180 miles each way. Yeah, There's a good three hour to a four
2: hour round trip. So how and did each, you do each that? way? How did you do that? Um, so you had to just get systemized very very quickly. Um, to find a good team down there, cleaning team and maintenance team, and then most of the rest of it, you can obviously run back ends uh, system. Most of it is all technically systems. um, But you do need to find a very good cleaning team and maintenance team down there straight away and sort of think of all of the different scenarios. So like something what we do at all properties, and I do this even locally anyway, um, but we put two key boxes at every single property because if a guest loses a key at one o'clock in the morning and they call us obviously yes we can charge them for lots of stuff the day after but especially in Brighton obviously it's a party town these people are going to be sort of all drunk so you just want to get them in the property don't annoy the neighbors and let's just think about it in the mornings, get it sorted in the morning so having a spare key box there and say here's a code let yourself in we'll sort it out in the morning or get another set of keys cut or whatever. We'll get that sorted tomorrow. Um, for now we'll just go to bed. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that's just that's just one of the things that we did. And and then we also use it as like a staff key box as well. So if obviously the guest is in there and the staff needs to get in there for some emergency, they can obviously access the other key box. So just all little scenarios like that we had to sort of think of um, and there were challenges. So it, there's always things happening and then you sort of learn from them very quickly. Um, and I sort of actually gave it a gamble. At the time, I never even done a course, done mentoring. I just took over these properties. I didn't even, so there's something called like a channel manager, people that don't know, it's basically like a CRM system for where it plugs all the properties into. Um, I didn't have that. I just had it listed on booking.com and Airbnb. I used to block them out manually. So a booking would come in, and I'd be on my phone quickly, blocking it out on all the other platforms. Um, just to learn everything completely from scratch really. So it worked out quite costly learning everything from scratch and not sort of getting a mentor or doing any education because I was just learning it all on the go. And like I say, there's lots of mistakes happening. Um, One of the crazy things that happened after a month was actually um, we had the, the shower blockage. In this property, it's a large property on like the weekend, we'd rent it out for like £1,200 on a Saturday night. Even in a week, we'd be renting out for like sort of £400 a night. Well, wow. this shower block through obviously hair, so I call that a plumber. um, A well-known plumbing business, so it was a national one because I hadn't actually, I'd only been running a business for a month, so I hadn't used any plumbers yet down there or anything like that, so I thought I well, should pick a national one. It's a Thursday. We um, don't want any issues. It's a Thursday in the summer. We've got Friday, Saturday coming up, which is a very expensive night. So let's get the issue sorted. Um, so Today came out, they were going to charge like 300 quid if to just unblock this shower, which was ridiculous. But I thought I should get it sorted. He came out and water started going through the ceiling below. Oh, my God. So I have this uh, landlord call me. Um, so the landlord, by the way, runs a whole building. He has a convenience store on bottom. Then he has a hair salon above. Um and then above is my apartment. So he called me, his wife called me as well, for the Trinity Air Salon, saying I was water leaking below. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Um, I'm still actually working in my current job as well. So I'm in London anyway, driving around, um, but I'm busy, 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 all in loads of traffic, obviously, around central London, um, trying to drive around. And I said, I'll. Oh, called a plumber, see what's the problem. Called him, he said, oh, it's nothing major. He said, it's just a bit of uh, water coming through. He said, basically, it's your shower seal. He said, it needs re-sealing. I said, okay. I said, it's coming through quite a bit, though. I said, but okay. Um, so he he sort of rushed off then. he said, So I said to him, so if we don't put any water on the shower seal, it'll be fine. He said, yes. So next guest checked and I said, if you do have a shower, you need to make sure the water's just spraying against the glass wall so it didn't go down the seal. So they had a shower. Two minutes later, ceiling collapses downstairs, um, straight to the hairdresser's bathroom, big damage down there, and obviously then these guests can't all shower now. Um, so it's a big property, i say, it's expensive nightly rate. So I said, right, we're well, gonna get this sorted. So what actually happened is the guy come out to plunge the shower and he'd actually popped off the waste pipe.
1: Um, so the
2: water was just running straight through, uh, flooded it, collapsed the ceiling. So I had the landlord on the phone, his wife on the phone, everyone's going crazy. off I've only had the property for a month. The landlord's thinking, I do I even trust this guy anymore. I've had this place for, for a month. Uh, what is he doing? And I was thinking, Oh my goodness. So I need to get down there as soon as possible. So, had to relocate these guests, cost me about 1500 quid that night because um, they had to get split to two different apartments because there was nothing available. Middle of the summer, moved them across. And then I got up the next morning, got down there super early for sort of 8 a.m. in the morning, checked it all out. Obviously, realised then the shower pipe had popped off. That was the actual issue, it was nothing to do with the seal. So we got another plumber come out to fix that, got that sorted. But the landlords and his wife didn't want anyone in the property until the ceiling was fixed. In case obviously um, if people are obviously in the bathroom, then obviously it could. If it's if the flooring's all loose, then then we didn't want anyone sort of going through for health and safety. Um, Shouldn't be any issues. But so I called up a few builders. um, I said if someone could come over, quote as soon as possible, and I need somebody to fix it as soon as possible. This is on a Friday. I needed to relocate guests again, so I was another fifteen hundred quid gone. Yes, Friday night. So I managed to get a couple of people. One guy said he could come on a Monday. I said, okay, well, we'll happy as a backup. I had another guy come at 6 6 p.m. in the evening, and he said, I said, look, if I give you a bit of extra money, I said, just quote me what you want to quote me, and I'll say yes or no. I've already had one quote for Monday and this needs fixing tomorrow. I said, I'm going to lose 1,100 quid again tomorrow night if this isn't fixed. So he gave me a quote. It was only 150 quid more than what the other guy quoted me for Monday. He said, I'll be here at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning. I'll get it all sorted. It needed new struts going across the uh, ceiling and everything, re all painted again, all clearing up. I sorted out the whole lot. All by midday the next day, everything's done. Three builders came. I could go back home come back down and but that cost me four grand within a space of three days out of my pocket obviously I did claim it back through this plumber's insurance but it also took me six months to call and chase this business to get them to pay me my money back um so at that point I did actually consider is this even the right thing for me I've only just started it I don't even know what I'm doing, really. Um to say I still haven't systemised systemized business yet. Did it for a month, did properties four hours away from my house. I can't get that quickly. And, and I now
1: just spent a little four grand on the business already yeah. before we even started making any money. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you, you go through a real rapid learning curve when it, whenever you learn anything uh, new. Um, but then uh, we met at uh, Progressive Property. So at some point, you must have, had um, a thought that said, well, actually, I need to go and um, check this out a little bit more, so what would talk me through through the thought process about um, and your views on getting educated, uh, having knowledge, having a, a support network around you?
2: yeah, I think it's um, it's a hundred percent no brainer really to go and get some education definitely before you start this sort of thing. It's just simple things like that, but you will end up learning. Doing a course, I'd, I'd initially do some sort of course because you'll learn all the basics and then go and do so, and then go and get a mentor or join a mastermind group where you'll pick up a lot more advanced knowledge. But you need to get all that basic knowledge first. Mm. Um, so yeah, I went to I ended up looking out on Facebook groups, so I sort of knew of progressive, I'd read some of like Rob's books and listened to some like podcasts and audible books. And then I started looking out on Facebook groups. Obviously, then you start getting loads of emails, um, and I thought, "Oh, let's give this a go." So it took me a good six months to even go there to go to one of their sort of free events. I went to one of their free events. It was a few discovery days. I went to a couple of discovery days back and forth to Peterborough. That's a couple of hours as well away from me from me each way. Went to these, and I thought, "Right, I've just got to give it a go." At the end of the day, I spent all this money on the business, what's sort of a couple of grand on a course. And seeing I spent a lot more than that on getting all this business set up. I'm surely going to learn a few tips. Um, so I did that, learned loads of stuff from doing the course, managed to implement more things. And then I thought, now this is the time to get a mentor because I want to Diversify into other property strategies and just have a big network group of people. So, if you have any issues in your property business, then you can go and speak to other people that you've met. And if you're looking to get into other strategies, then you can also speak to other people that you've met. Um, so, I think it's definitely, it's, you need to be getting educated to make sure you're saving all these mistakes. And obviously, people say it's costly, but the amount that you'll save going forward.
1: It's just a no-brainer. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for the collective mindset because when you look at, um, uh, or certainly as a mentor, when I talk to lots of people, it's it's not necessarily, uh, well, you know what you know um, and you know what you don't know. It's what you don't know um, or the unknown unknowns, as it was uh, famously uh, said by one American politician. Uh, where someone has already trod that journey beforehand, that can sort of say, "Well, actually, I did that, and and this is what I did to sort of swoop around it." So that whole sort of collective um, uh, mindset or that collective um, brain power is, is certainly something to, to to value. But I know that you uh, um, bounced back from that, and you're doing really well because I saw some amazing photographs of your new car. So tell us uh, tell us a little bit about the the journey, sort of after that. Um, Sort of high level. You you obviously you've grown the business, and you've talked about wanting to uh, diversify. So, two questions there: Um, How is the business going at the moment? Um, And obviously, we've we've been through COVID. So, sort of prior to the COVID bit. Um, And secondly, why why are you looking to diversify?
2: Yeah.
1: So, since then, obviously.
2: So basically, this was in like September 2018, I started to get educated, that's when I left my job as well and sort of went into property full-time. It was actually like a massive pay cut for me um, because I could not draw nowhere near the amount of money out of my business as I was earning. Um, But I thought, I've got to do this now because like I say, I had no overhead costs. I didn't have family, house and all that sort of stuff. So I thought, let's just give it a go now. It's going to pay off in the next couple of years. And then I can obviously afford to pay for my own house and stuff like that. So I got educated over those three, four months. And then I decided to really set myself a goal for 2019. And that was to get it to 20 units. And at the time, I was be on three units. Um, I achieved that literally down to this fine wire going over the Christmas period in 2019. I got another property and that was the 20th property. That was brilliant. I hit the target and so it was just booming and this year's caradon um trickling away we will be at 30 units in a couple of weeks time my initial target was to actually get to 50 Um obviously with COVID and stuff hitting had to re-analyse the business and just obviously pause a few things and just obviously see what's happening and even at the moment, I'm not looking to... So at the moment, I'm looking to get to 35 at the end of this year. My first at the moment is to get five more, but just change the business plan slightly and change the goals because we don't know exactly what's going to happen. There could be another second lockdown I keep talking about at the moment. So I don't want to go too aggressively and keep a few bit of reserves. And then that's one main reason as well, why I'm looking to diversify. So if you've got a bit of diversity there, with like maybe some HMOs, let lets... Do some flip projects as well. Obviously not at the moment, probably not the time to do a flip project, but in the future, um, just diversify a bit so you've got a bit of a backup of income if one strategy starts slowing down. Um, so at the moment, it's absolutely booming because more and more restrictions are getting restricted abroad. The amount of bookings that come in every day is crazy. Um, we've literally got like four calendars everywhere for August, but... So that's brilliant. But we don't know what's going to happen after that. There's going to be another lockdown. So we've been some other income coming in from elsewhere, through HMOs, single lets, and some flip projects, and that'd be great. And my end goal as well is to start to buy properties as well over the next sort of 12 months, two years. So I've been speaking to some investors at the moment to start to buy properties, Um, obviously from some savings as well myself, and start to buy properties too. And obviously at least you've got a bit of equity building up then again, so that's also another diversity so if anything does go wrong you can even sell out property or release some equity to keep you going for the next couple of months um there's just a bit of a long-term business plan because there's always these sort of peaks and troughs every sort of eight to ten years in the world so it's always going to keep happening so it's going to have that
1: diversity there, i sort of see it as yeah definitely i mean the the, the concept that i was taught um Right the way from um, when I went into uh, business myself, and it's one of my first sort of corporate mentions. So when you're looking at business, you ideally want to have three, four, uh, or three what he called streams of income. You want a, a fast stream of income that's uh, uh, ready cash coming in. So like your uh, service accommodation business, then you want to have sort of a medium or a, 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 what did he call it? Um, I mean, yeah, analogy, the analogy was road, so you want to have like a motorway. So stuff that sort of comes in. Then you want to have like a couple of B, uh, A roads, so it's um, sort of more steady but, but a bit more guaranteed. And then you want to have some sort of like slower income, and that's sort of what I deem to be sort of the capital element. So You've got the capital growth. You've got those three forms of uh, income, and it doesn't matter what happened, you, You've got that sort of covered. So, so the business is going well. Um, what, does, what do you think the future looks like for service accommodation?
2: Yeah, I can see it still growing massively. Obviously, over the next 12 months, there could be a bit of a hit. Um, Depends on how – we're all sort of in a bit of an unknown at the moment um, because if there is a second lockdown, obviously, then it could be a bit slow for a few months. But once everything does get back and it's like now, obviously, they're letting people back out and it's all sort of gone back to normal, the staycations have sort of flown for the roof because I think more people are starting to realise now we can't go abroad or we don't want to go abroad because well, because the news keeps changing every day as well um you don't know what's going to happen so you could end up flying abroad today and as soon as you come off the plane which i know that happened with some people on the weekends some people went to spain got off the plane on saturday and they said oh you've got a 14 day quarantine when you get back um so people are starting realizing now that that might not be the right thing for them um and let's just stay over here for a couple of years there's probably more risk about flying in the air. People are sort of worried about that. So I think a lot of people are going to stay over the next couple of years. People are going to sort support local businesses as well. to that for kids. So I think there's a really good future for it. Obviously, it just depends on what sort of does happen and if they do kind of do another lockdown. But once it's all sort of sorted itself out and we can try and get back to normal, well, I know it's going to go on for a good, quite a long time, then people are going to stay over here and, so you have some really nice holiday homes, um, good properties. And the business is gonna still, there's going to be a lot of work going on still. We're still in short demand of um, properties and stuff like that. So building works going to have to carry on. Um, so people, the contractors are going to be looking to stay in your properties. So it's just going to keep, keep booming. And Airbnb before
1: this, every year on year, their turnover was doubling. Yeah, it's it's going to be certainly be a different world. So, so the interest in HMOs is is what? Why why are you looking at HMOs as the uh, part of your diversification diversification strategy?
2: Yeah, definitely. So, I actually personally see it as um, it's a bit more steadier income. So, a lot of people that own HMOs, like yourself, you, a lot of people actually say HMOs can be a hassle, but service accommodation I'd say is actually more hassle. (laughs) There's a lot more going on obviously. Guests can technically stay in a service accommodation property for say one night even. Um, There's a lot of stuff going on within a day's basis. Whereas in a HMO, if it looks nice and you look after the tenants, they're going to be there a minimum of six months. Um, So there's not a lot going on sort of really. Obviously, yeah, you've got to deal with all those issues if tenants mess with you and stuff like that. But, in service accommodation there's a lot more issues and obviously if there is an issue in a property in service accommodation they kind of expect you to do like a magic trick and you need to be there right now so if like the boiler stops working for some reason in service accommodation that boiler should never have stopped working it's, it's, it should be it should be like a, you should apparently check it every every second of the day to make sure it doesn't stop working um, and then the guests suddenly so want a full refund if the boiler isn't working obviously you can get somebody out there but you can't obviously you can get a plumber, an engineer out there in sort of a couple of hours, the emergency one, but it's not going to happen straight away. Things breaking properties, obviously in HMOs, if a boiler packs up, you can deal with that for a couple of days. Um, you can obviously try and get it done as soon as possible to help out your customers and uh, your tenants in there, but you're going to be a bit, a bit slower and they're going to sort of understand it a bit more. Um, Compared to service accommodation, obviously there's never a review score on HMOs either. So whereas in Airbnb world and service accommodation, there is review. So if something does happen like that, which is completely out of your control, they're probably going to go and give you a one star review and it's completely out of your control and you try to fix it and sort it out as soon as possible and give them compensation or something, but it is out of your control. So just want to diversify into that because it is similar income as well. Um, so. I kind of actually think service accommodation is a bit easier to get into um, than HMOs now. I know it's a lot harder to get into HMOs. So I've got Article 4 and a lot of people have got into HMOs over the past few years. So service accommodation, obviously, all you need to do is find a buy-to-let property, um, just a single let, and you can rent it out as a whole property, as a holiday let, whereas HMOs is a bit more um, – it's a bit less to choose from. Mm. Um, so I think it's are easy, harder to get into um, than service combination, but the cash flow is actually probably nearly the same. Um, yes, you can have service combination out of more units, certain units, but it's near enough the same and probably a bit more
1: hassle. Um, so I just want to diversify into a few different areas. So you've got a bit of diversification there, really. Mm, no, so you're absolutely right. I mean, and I think, if I'm being completely honest, you're the first person that I've heard say um, that, that the income from service accommodation uh, is is roughly about the same as uh, HMOs. I mean, you, the, the, the analogy I use is um, when everyone asks me sort of my view on service accommodation, and i have just just for the record, I'm I'm not not pro service accommodation, but um, you get sort of big spikes, but then you might get some some troughs, and then you get another spike. But when you look at the the average uh, net income across the period is probably around about the same with uh, HMOs. It's just with HMOs, you don't get these big spikes and, and drops in, in income. It's sort of re- relatively flat, which is one of the things that, that I absolutely love about HMOs. You've got a, a consistent uh, income profile and a, a consistent net income profile. And, and um, being a, an ex-risk guy, I'm kind of looking at uh, consistency going forward. So. So that's all kind of cool, and and we've been um, uh, talking about um, the HMOs. But, I mean, in terms of bringing in some HMOs into your company, you're highly systemized. I know that for a fact. Um, but what about the human element? What about your employees? How did you – and, and let, me, let me just ask another question. How, how old are you? 22. 22. <laughs> <laughs> that's just uh, – uh, for the people watching and the people listening, that's just another amazing – Sort of factor layer over this Josh is only 22 so how, how do you go about um, managing your, your team what are some of the um, key tips that you might want to share with with others uh, in, in terms of managing your team so one of the main ones that I sort of probably actually
2: sort of learned very quickly is obviously treat your team as a team like and you're part of the team so Don't treat yourself as like a business owner and you do this, you do that. So you can't just give out demands to people, um, but you need to pass certain responsibility off to others and sort of make sure they they know they're involved in the business um, and try and teach them well as well. Um, You give them all the information that they need and then make them feel confident that they are part of the business and that you're both working at the same level. Um, Obviously you are earning more money as a director than they are, but you want them to feel part of it and also know that them doing the tasks for you, it allows you to help grow the business. You can focus on more of the income generating tasks and they need to know that as well. So then you can, so for me, for example, I can help try and find the properties um, and get new places set up and also speak to more investors, landlords which will grow our portfolio, which will technically earn them more money because they might be able to get promotion to the next level or I actually put one of my staff members on like a commission basis. So the more properties we get, then she would actually get a earn more money. Mm. Um, so it's a win-win for both of us. Um, but when I first started and I had some people work for me, I probably didn't actually train them up very well. Um and I sort of tried to leave it to them and they've made a few mistakes and I did actually probably give uh probably too much responsibility, just being a bit um, trying to give them everything, um, but not really focusing on one particular thing. It made it a bit messy and and then I also sort of trusted them too much as well. So you've still got to keep an eye on everything. Um because people can also happily take money out of your business or not turn up to work and stuff like that. So you've got to build up that trust there with these people. And I did actually have that with my first person. Didn't, I was going on holiday um, only over here, so obviously you are still got to have time off. And I was still working on holiday, but I'd left my office and then they didn't actually come in the hours that they should have been in. They were sort of making up their hours, having shorter hours that week, and I sort of caught it because I tried to call them the one day and just ask them a question on the landline phone. They didn't pick it up, so I waited half an hour, called them again, didn't pick it up, and luckily on our building um, there is CCTV on the outside of the building, so checked it all when I got back and obviously realised that every time I wasn't in the office and say if I went to Brighton and stuff like that and they weren't turning up at the right hours of the day. Um, So obviously, we had to sort of part ways um, with that person, but it was probably sort of, I sort of like to kind of take the responsibility for that because I probably didn't actually give them the right training and all of that sort of stuff initially, um, and probably didn't make them feel part of the team and give them that responsibility really. So I Mm. think it is, it's quite an important one. It It is quite a hard one, and it's sort of one of those where Yeah, you can get tips from other people, but you kind of actually just need to learn that sort of one. It is, you will get some staff which aren't too good and then you'll get some amazing staff. And that's just sort of a learning process of any
1: business. And it is quite a hard one to carry out, really. Yeah, it is, particularly if you've got someone in a, in a key position and, and, and uh, that person goes and then and then obviously it sort of bounce back on you and you'll try out there to grow the business and then you've got to get involved in operational issues and recruit and, and that's an expensive exercise as well so yeah no good, good tip so look we're going to um sort of move towards the, the the wind down so i'm gonna uh just throw three random questions at you and the, see how you get on that and then we'll will ask you for uh, your final word, so your little bit of enlightenment. So a uh, couple of random questions. So uh, favourite food? Pasta. <laughs> pasta. Any particular kind of pasta or just plain old dry pasta? Um, to be fair, most, all sorts of pasta,
2: as long as it's not like pesto pasta, because I've got allergies for that. But um, anything like carbonara, spaghetti bolognese, pasta bake, um, or, or any, any sort of special pasta dish, but pasta sort of something that I've always had from a kid, and then uh, just sort of can always eat it anytime, really. <laughs> Amazing. All right, so a uh, favorite book? One of the most favorite books. I'd probably say is Rich Dad Poor Dad, which is probably like it, most people's, but it was one of the first books I've read, um, and I sort of realized what the opportunities are in property or business as well um, and how the whole system worked really. It just sort of opened my eyes. It doesn't tell you how to go and do it but it just opens your eyes to what that actually is and how people have made wealth over 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years and if you do look at it over the long term like you said obviously I'm, I'm 22 years old. If I can get a few capital properties as well over the next few years, which are just debt capital growth of single lets, over a 25-year period. And if I put this on, say, repayments, well, I get to pay this off, i are going to go up in capital. There's going to be a big portfolio
1: there in sort of 25 years' time. and Absolutely, people- because that's another big issue for your generation is about pensions. I mean, uh, I I, uh, I, mean, my dad had a, uh, has got an amazing pension situation. I've got less of an amazing pension situation. But for you, young folk coming up, you've got to be thinking about your pensions right now so that you can live in uh, in the way you want to live when you get to my ripe old age. Um, and hopefully you will be, uh, won't be working when you get to my ripe old age. <laughs> um, cool. And it's a favourite holiday destination if you could go anywhere. At
2: the moment, I'd probably say Australia. Um, I went there about eight years ago now. I can't believe that's uh, eight years ago, but I really, really enjoyed it every
1: day. Um, so I would definitely like to go back there again at some point. Cool. So this, uh, although we're uh, for the for you guys that are listening and uh, watching, we're we're recording this sort of the end of July, but we're at the the the, the video and the episode is actually going to be published around about Christmas time. So if anyone is looking to get away for Christmas and have an amazing time at one of your properties, Josh. What's the website that they should uh, look you up on and to, to book an amazing experience with you? Yep, so it's www.guesthomes with an S on the uk. Great, so that's www.guesthomes with an S on the end.co.uk. And uh, Josh will uh, very much look after you uh, if you're looking to get away around the Christmas New Year break. And um, yeah, Josh, thank you very much for your time. But before you go, just like you to share one bit of enlightened wisdom uh, with everybody. So if if you were to give one bit of advice, what, what would that be?
2: So one bit of advice, I would say get educated and make a business plan of exactly what you want to do. And that business plan could be and a strategy plan over the next sort of twenty five years. I see a lot of people not doing that and particularly particularly in service accommodation, like we said earlier, the cash flow is probably similar to HMO. There's a lot more costs involved in service accommodation which people actually don't realise and they forget about. So make sure you're actually doing a strong business plan and analysing everything of the business. This can be for any business, but make sure you take it into account absolutely everything, even if it's, say, some, for £7.99 Netflix subscription. Take that into account and actually really work out your profit margins and then analyse it once a business grows. So for service accommodation, you obviously go back registered at a certain point when you hit the threshold. Then you need to work out what your new net profit is after your VAT bill. Because obviously that's going to take a hit. So then, so for example, if you take three properties to get to your VAT threshold, your four properties are not going to make you any money. That's going to pay for your VAT bill. So taking all this stuff into consideration, um, and I think a lot of people forget that in any business, they just do a strategy plan of it growing, and then when it gets to at a certain level, you can take on staff members, um, which you're going to take another cost and hit on your business. But do it like growth plan of up to a million pounds and plus. Mm-hmm depending on what level you want to get the business to, but do a strategy plan for whatever you want to get the business to. It's not simple as you earn £500, £1,000 a month for property and you get 10 properties, that's £10 a month, oh, I can retire now. It's not as simple as that. There's lots of other costs involved for all businesses. Take it as well into account and work out a long-term
1: business plan and a strategy plan. Amazing. Good advice um, and uh, great to hear. Um, being a being a finance guy. Cool. So we're going to wrap it up there, everyone. Um, I really hope you enjoyed uh, this episode of the HMO Experience Property Podcast. Please leave your comments and views below. Uh, reach out to us, um, smash the like button and uh, subscribe. So um, we'll put uh, Josh's link in the show notes below. Uh, don't forget to head over to our website, which is www.hmo.com the HMOexperience.co.uk. Sign up there to get our podcast every Monday at eight o'clock in the morning delivered to your inbox so you don't have to go and search for it. And look out for our HMO hashtag, #HMOHacks, uh, where we're bringing you lots of uh, little bit tidbits of information on how to manage your HMO business and your HMO properties going forward. Until next Monday, and I'm just about to lose my voice, We'll see you soon. Say goodbye to everyone, Josh. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for me, Steve. Cheers. You're very welcome. And we'll see everyone next Monday. Have a great week, everyone. Take care.
0: Thanks for listening, guys. Really appreciate you tuning in. Before you head off, I'd like to ask you to do three things. The first thing is head over to Amazon and buy the HMO Blueprint, which is Jamie's new book that was published on the 26th of October. You can find the link in the show description. The second thing is, Whatever podcast platform you're listening to right now, make sure you hit the subscribe button so that you get weekly notifications as to when new episodes of the podcast drop. And the third thing is, head over to the HMO Experience Property Podcast Facebook page. Make sure you click that like button so that you get notified when we drop bonus content such as the HMO Diaries and the Friday Finance Takeover. That's it. See you next week.